Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Tim McKibben is the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales and has been in the position since 2008. Previous to his role as CEO, Tim was REI New South Wales Legal Counsel from 2004. REI New South Wales is the major provider of education and training to real estate agents throughout New South Wales. Prior to joining REI, Tim was a partner in a multidisciplinary accounting and law firm where he specialised in property and taxation. Tim is passionate about the real estate industry and committed to ensuring that REI New South Wales provides what agents need to deliver a high quality real estate service to their clients and to operate a profitable business. Today, I am delighted to welcome Tim McKibben, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. Welcome, Tim. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? I am doing just fine on this beautiful day. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us. And I'm sure that we have some listeners sitting here thinking, Amanda, this is a podcast about Strata. Why are we suddenly talking about real estate agents? And why do we have the CEO of the Real Estate Institute on the show? So hopefully we can clear some of that up for our listeners. I'm going to start, Tim, by getting straight down to the facts. I want to know, what's the difference between a real estate agent and a Strata manager? Yeah, it's a great question, but uh, they've probably got more similarities than they have differences. Yep. For example, the Property Stock and Business Agents Act is a legislative instrument which captures both real estate agents. So for property managers, they're captured in that as well, in that definition, and strata managers. So they're captured by the same pieces of legislation, Yes. albeit there is uh, different requirements throughout the Act and also in the regulations. One of the things I always say to people about property and about the real estate profession generally, it responds to every area of personalities right across the spectrum. Mm. So if you are somebody who is a detail person, then you might look at valuation or something along those lines. And if you then, in a similar vein, are a detailed individual, then I think being a strata manager may suit you as well. There's there is, in my view, a degree of accounting, if you will, that, that is of great assistance in this area, sinking funds and administration mm. funds. So there, there is an element of accounting. And then as you progress through the opportunities within the within real estate, property managers, salespeople, and then auctioneers, when you get right up to the other end, those really extrovert individuals. And as you can <laughs> see, it takes in the full ambit. But mm. I think primarily the difference between the two people is not a great deal. They're both people dealing essentially in property and uh, and have various functions within that particular area. And their paths cross, not surprisingly, Mm. in uh, in strata complexes. Mm. And they do have different roles to play, don't they? I'm often dealing with owners and sometimes even tenants who use the word the property manager or the real estate agent and the strata manager interchangeably. And it takes me a little while to work out that they're actually talking about two different people who have two different roles to play in a strata building. Are you able to flesh that out at all for our listeners? Yeah, yeah and, and certainly that's correct as well. I, I think mm. I had strata once um, described to me as, um, as the actual building, the common property, if you will, and I've always hung on to this definition. And, 
And what you actually buy in a strata, as I understand it, is the thickness of the paint and the space in the middle. Yes, so, you're uh, right. So I'll, I'll defer to you as an expert in this particular area. I actually don't like the term property manager. I right. prefer the term tenancy manager. I think that's a far better description of what we traditionally call property managers because a mm. property manager sounds like somebody who is involved in the property per se rather than somebody who is managing the relationship between the tenant and the landlord. And, and ultimately, I'd like to see that terminology uh, come into this area of practice. Now, mm. the, the strata manager, though, is in charge of the administration of the strata complex itself. Mm. So, and of all of those things. So they've got that, and again, that accounting function, that management function of dealing with the property in a holistic terms rather than just that particular unit where the, let's call them the tenancy manager, is mm. involved in that. But clearly their paths cross. Yes. And thank you for that, Tim. I think that is a fabulous distinction. And I'm going to use that now when I'm talking to clients and advising them on the differences. A tenancy manager, managing the interaction between the landlord and the tenant. I think that's an excellent term to use. And I think it's one that we should all adopt versus the strata manager who is there to manage the building itself the owner's corporation, and how each resident, whether they are owner or tenant, operate within that building. So I really love that distinction. and I'm sure that's really useful for our listeners who may have been a bit confused about the difference between a property manager or tenancy manager and a strata manager. So thank you for that. And you have just said there that their paths cross, and indeed they do. What's your advice to real estate agents and strata managers who need to work together? Just that. Get to know one another in communication. There's so many times that I hear problems that um, escalate simply because the, the strata manager and the tenancy manager, let's, uh, let's keep with that today, maybe it'll take off. Yeah, I love it. Don't uh, have a relationship or the relationship is somewhat strained. And then, and then there are problems which unfortunately escalate. So communication, I think, you know, get to know your strata manager, strata manager, make the effort to get to know the, the tenancy manager. Mm. And then when there are problems, tackle them early. I think mm. one of the things that I know that tenancy managers uh, often complain about is the when there is an issue with a tenant, the strata manager will go directly to the landlord. And then there is, this, as you can imagine, a circular uh, correspondence, whereas mm. what could have been done is directly to the property manager. And similarly, I think uh, the tenancy manager, rather than going through their client can, uh, you know, they need to keep them, keep the landlord informed. Mm. But I think dealing with the um, strata manager is a far more efficient step. So mm. short story, get to know each other. Yes. And I think expanding on that, get to know each other's roles and the demands of each other's roles. I'm sure there are tenancy managers out there who aren't really quite sure what strata managers do, what their everyday burdens are, and why strata managers might get a bit frustrated or a bit narky about things that they require from tenancy managers that aren't being provided in a timely way or at all. For example, they've got to keep their strata roles up to date with current details of the owner and the tenant. And I know simply because I'm often on the, the strata side of things dealing with managers, that that's something they feel frustrated about when it comes to getting that accurate information across from tenancy managers and vice versa, strata managers understanding the burdens and the demands that are on tenancy managers and what they're dealing with each day so that we can have some respect for each other and, as you say, get to know each other. Yeah, I'm told that, um, that uh, strata problems can be uh, described with the three Ps, uh, parking, pets and, and parties. That's and, it. <laughs> and, it, and it strikes me that uh, all of those issues 
would be things that tenants uh, would be involved in. Absolutely. So again, if we can deal directly with the uh, each other, the strata mm. manager and the property manager, the three Ps, if you will, can be dealt with far more efficiently. Mm. And I have to say, just related, but it's a bit of an aside, I was recently lucky enough to attend the Women in Real Estate Conference, which the REI runs each year. And just being in a room full of mostly real estate agents, when I'm used to being surrounded by strata managers at these industry events, what I took away from that and really picked up was we're all concerned with the same things at the end of the day. And yes, this was a conference that was directed towards women and women's professional development. But I really like the focus on you're there to to provide a service. You're there to, to sell, to sell yourself. How do you sell yourself? How do you make yourself valuable to your client? And I think for real estate agents, that probably comes more naturally than it does to strata managers because they're in a profession where selling is the name of the game. But I've walked away from that conference and gone and spoken to strata managers and said, hey guys, you're selling too. You have to make your service valuable. You have to show your clients what it is you're doing that you deserve to be compensated for and respected for and valued. And I really think that there's a lot for real estate agents and strata managers to share there with their professional development as well. Absolutely. The parallel here may be the way that the the sales agent and the uh, conveyancer solicitor work together. And one of the uh, pieces of advice I've always given in that particular environment, get to know what the other side has to do. When I say the other side, I'm talking about the other service provider, the solicitor, or the, and I'd give the same advice to the solicitor. Get to understand what challenges they're going to face in the transaction and say to yourself, how can I help? How can I make their life easy? Because if you're making their life easy, things flow particularly well. And if you've got two service providers in the one transaction that come together with that attitude, you'll be able to deal with problems and and watch the workflow far more efficiently and with a lot less stress. So that's always my advice. Get to appreciate what the problems the other person is facing and ask yourself the question every time, how can I help? Mm, Excellent. Great advice. Thanks, Tim. Tim, have you got any stories to share with our listeners? They might be good, they might be bad about this issue, real estate agents working with strata managers in your long experience, anything specific that you want to share that might help our listeners understand this relationship a bit better? No, no gory stories we can get (laughs) our teeth into, but I have plenty of stories where problems that have occurred, and we go back to the three Ps that we spoke about a little while ago, and those three particular instances where I believe they could have been dealt with a lot earlier and Mm. solved a lot of problems in the strata complex. Because when they're not dealt with, then they escalate into a wider area and start to impinge on the uh, peace and good order of the strata. So so I I don't have any gory stories, Amanda, and pleased (laughs) to be able to say that, but I do have plenty of stories where problems have escalated and caused more issues unfortunately, had they been dealt with earlier. Yeah. And talking about one of those Ps, let's use parties as an example. And I've certainly been living in and been involved in buildings where we've had a few parties. And I find sometimes that the strata manager, perhaps the owner's corporation, tends to forget that they can, and as you advised earlier, they can communicate directly with the tenant. Tenants do have obligations to comply with bylaws, just as mm-hmm. owners do. Yep. And it's not simply a matter of passing the buck across to the tenancy manager and saying, hey, this is your tenant, you deal with this. It is possible, and in my view, I recommend that 
owners, corporations, committee members, strata managers communicate directly with tenants and say, hey, you guys are in breach of uh, this bylaw, whether it's to do with noise or damage to common property, whatever it is, and just educate those tenants a bit on what your rules are in the building, what the culture of the building is, and don't automatically flick it across to the tenancy manager. Of course, keep them involved and definitely keep the owner informed, but it's okay and it's advisable to communicate direct with the tenant as well when you've got one of those P's happening. Yeah, exactly right. And I guess to expand on what you're talking about, if the tenant is getting the communication in stereo from Mm. both the strata manager and the uh, tenancy manager at the same time, you know, it it adds additional weight to um, to rectify and remedy their conduct. Yep, absolutely. So again, you know, the secret, work together. You got both parties uh, saying to the tenant, your particular conduct is unacceptable and you are putting at risk your accommodation. Mm, Yep, I love it. Okay, Tim, we probably have some listeners today who may be having some difficulties, whether it's with tenants in the buildings or maybe even strata managers and their relationships with a particular tenancy manager and vice versa. What are your tips for some quick action steps these people can take to improve a problem relationship? With all problem relationships, I think if you can sit down with somebody in a professional manner, leave the emotion at the door and put on the table what your issues are and lead the conversation, be mature, lead the conversation and say, you know, these are the issues I'm facing. I'm interested in taking my own problems on. How can you help? Mm. You know, if you go into um, any relationship in an aggressive manner and start to say to somebody, you are causing me all these problems and you're at fault, you know, it spirals from there. So, be conciliatory and go into those sorts of uh, potentially uh, conflict environment with a, with a calm and professional manner and work through the issues. It's no different to any other dispute. It's, you know, strata disputes or any other dispute we face is of itself uh, simply another a conflict between parties. You act professionally, you act calmly, you act unemotionally and work your way through the issues in the spirit of compromise and looking to see where you can assist uh, the other side in getting to where they want to be as well. Mm. And I think that's a really good tip that you started with there. When you're going into any kind of conflict resolution, and this is taught certainly to professionals who are involved in this and those who are benefiting from some mediation or even some counselling, to lay blame at the feet of other people is never going to be helpful. It's important to turn up saying, hey, this is what's happening and this is how I'm feeling about it and this is how it's affecting me. To approach a situation to say, you did this and this is wrong, you fix it, is never going to get anyone anywhere. So I think that's something that all too often we forget in the heat of the moment. And it's a good reminder for us to step back and say, let's talk about this situation and express simply how we're feeling about it, not so much what the other person has done to cause that. That's right. If you go in and attack the other individual, they're only going to become defensive. And also, I mean, if the uh, if the dispute is uh, complex or deep-seated, again, acting professionally, I think it's worth the money to go and uh, engage a conciliator. And there are conciliators, for example, at the uh, uh, Office of the Commissioner of Small Business who will get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and they can be very, very valuable in working with the parties and just bringing you to a uh, position where you agree. Mm. Uh, you want to keep these things out of a uh, out of a court environment for a number of reasons, but two that uh, strike me very quickly. One is that it can be very, very expensive. Yep. Well, it, on all occasions, I think it's going to be expensive. Secondly, if it goes into a court environment, 
you lose control of the outcome. And mm-hmm. I think that's quite dangerous. I, I never like losing control of the outcome. I'm happy to compromise and to work. And from the party's point of view, if a, um, if an adjudicator says, here is the solution, you will comply with it, you're not really going into your future relationship in the best of manners. Yep. And you, you will probably only ever comply with the letter of the direction rather than the spirit of the direction. So I think it's very, very good to be able to initially, if you can, get a handshake deal and move on. Mm. Uh, and if you can't, then take the next step and get some sort of conciliator to assist you to find an answer. Stay out of the courts. Mm. Look, it sounds strange but as a lawyer, but I agree with that. <laughs> I think it's an old saying, the only ones who win in litigation are the lawyers. And I think this alternative model of dispute resolution is an important one to bring to the forefront now, particularly in New South Wales, where we have new strata legislation that says owners' corporations can and probably should in- institute their own model of alternative dispute resolution and use that as a priority instead of turning to the more formal litigious models, for example, mm the tribunal or the courts. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. Okay, Tim, personal question. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? The book I suppose that I read periodically is put out by Dr. Stephen Covey and uh, I heard recently that he had passed on. uh, And I think it's called The um, Seven Habits of Successful People. Mm. Uh, It's an excellent read. Um, I read it periodically, probably every six months or so. It might seem odd to to go over it, but I always get additional information out of it. Mm. And the thing that I like about it is that your own conduct can influence the, uh, the conduct of others around you. Yes. So that's it's it's something of a leadership um, book. But the other piece of advice that I would give people, if you want to be successful, surround yourself with successful people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way to do it. You spend time with them, analyse why they're successful and duplicate it, you know. Mm. And, and I think that's one of the uh, one of the keys to success. If you are with people who are unsuccessful, then, you know, that sort of influence will rub off on you. Mm. Strive to... Um, to emulate those people who are successful. Yeah, um, you are the sum of those who you hang out with, I guess, the saying goes. And the other way that I hear that expressed is you never want to be the smartest person in the room. And I love that that line that often comes back to me when I'm assessing a situation and I think, are there people here who I can learn from, who I can look up to, who can help me reach that next level? And if there aren't, then I go out and I find them. So good advice. Yes, and I guess that's uh, – I try to live by that, surrounding yourself with people who are successful and, and in real estate. Um, mm. I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of uh, close friends who have been quite successful and you gain an understanding why and uh, – you pick up their habits and you, um, and again, you try and uh, follow their lead. Yeah, excellent. Okay, Tim, how do our listeners find out more about you? And is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Well, I, I guess the Real Estate Institute is um, we have a website, which is uh, obviously www.reinsw.com.au. Yep. Um, and I would encourage people to go on there and have a look at uh, the services that we provide. Um, not everybody is a member of the Institute. We have uh, rules and regulations that agents must follow. So I'd encourage people to um, engage with members because uh, they've obviously decided to take on the burdens of membership and that's acting uh, in part at least ethically, mm. um, professionally and the like. So mm. that's part of our uh, non-negotiable requirements of membership. So again, I think it is very, very wise to be dealing uh, with our members. 
if people uh, people have any specific questions of me or if I can be of any assistance to people in their careers, I'm um, more than happy to do so. The Institute is also a, an RTO, a training arm, and that's all we do. Uh, a lot of RTOs do a multitude of training in a variety of industries. We don't. We specialise in real estate, not surprisingly, uh, and that's all we do. So I believe that's all we do and we do it well. Mm, Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your experience with us today and helping us demystify the difference between tenancy managers, I'm going to call them, tenancy managers and strata managers, and um, highlighting where they're actually quite similar as well and how they might be able to draw on each other's experiences. So lots of valuable info there for our listeners today. Thank you. No worries, ma'am. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? 